0: A few weeks ago, as we started this, actually eight weeks ago, um, I took you to a passage in Luke chapter 15, where Jesus was talking about um, his heart for people. That whole chapter is about the Father's heart for people. And one of the stories that he tells is about a father who had two sons, an older and a younger one. And the younger one uh, decided that he wanted to do something different than live with the father in his house. So he went to the dad and he said, uh, Can you give me the money that you will give me at, 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 as my inheritance now? Uh, amazingly, the father obliged and gave the son some money. And the son, as you know, if you know the story, went off and squandered it. Uh, living a lifestyle that uh, was much different than the one he knew in the father's house. When the money got used up and uh, he found himself in a vulnerable and, and yucky place, he's, it says there in that passage that he came to his senses and decided to make the trek back home to his father. And he's thinking the worst would happen when he got back home Uh, But if you know the story, you'll know that when the son was yet a ways off from the father's house, the father saw him and ran to meet him. And uh, the rest of the story is really about how uh, the father brought the son back into his blessing uh, there in the home. So that's kind of where we started. We've been dipping in and out of that story along the way, but we've been talking of late about all the benefits that we could know from living and dwelling in the Father's house. You may remember, if you were here last week, I spoke to you about the Father's protection. All through Scripture, we find this uh, idea, we find this promise that the Father, one of his roles in our lives is To protect us. Now, that doesn't mean that nothing negative is ever going to happen to us. But where we ended up last week was it's much better to be underneath the protective care of our Father inside his house than it is to be trying to live outside of his house. Now, in light of that, I'm taking you back there because just this week, Bob and Sue Schieffer came to me during the week. They're some of the folks on our leadership team here. And Sue made me aware that uh, a guy by the name of Dutch Sheets, some of you I know follow him. He has a thing, 15 minutes a day, uh, that you can listen to, a devotional of sorts. And one of the things he had been talking about lately is how uh, our homes are part of God's design to protect us. And he actually talked in his devotion from Psalm 91, which is the very psalm that I shared with you, last week, last Sunday. And so uh, part of what he was talking about on his uh, exhortation was uh, for us to take serious the blessing that our homes are, uh, the way that God can use those as a means of shelter and protection from the yucky junk that's going out on in this world. And, And one of the things that he encouraged families and folks to do was actually to anoint their homes, uh, particularly with oil. And and he was drawing from an idea that's presented to us in the Old Testament in Exodus 30, where after they built God's house, uh, the, the, the tabernacle at that point in time, the first thing that God told them to do was to take oil and anoint that house. And for that matter, everything in that house. And it was a means of declaring that this this served as something set apart as holy and blessed unto the Lord. And so I I stand before you today and I I say, well, uh, we know that we have the Holy Spirit at work in our hearts and lives. That's awesome. But... I think that it would be a step of faith on our part to say, Lord, we want our homes, we want our places of worship, we want those places also set apart as holy unto you. We 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 got we got stuff going on out there, right? In case you haven't looked lately. Uh <clears throat> If you pay attention at all as to what's going on out there in the world, there's a lot of junk happening. And God does not call us to walk in fear, but in faith. And as we walk in faith and we see our lives as unto him and set apart for his purposes and plans, not only should our hearts be in that place, but our everything about us, our, our, our possessions, our home, that which he has blessed us with. And so I ask you to prayerfully consider taking some step of faith uh, where you would say, Lord, our lives, our possessions, it's all yours. It's holy unto you. They're, they're yours. And uh, Sue came to me as we were making our way in this morning and said there was uh, some things about that uh, teaching that he gave, prayer, a prayer of sorts that you might use. And she has copies of that. If you want, you just wave or stand or something to uh, just see her. She could give you uh, some added things there to help you in that uh, process. You know, it's as simple as this: we are all going to live somewhere. You're going to live someplace. Uh, all of us, uh, some people have a home up here, they have a home down south, and they split where they live. But the fact of the matter is, we are all going to live somewhere. And that's not only true in the natural, it's also, also true in the spiritual. You are going to live someplace. You are, as a matter of fact, you're either going to live in God's house, or you're going to live outside of God's house. You're either going to live with an understanding of being in his presence, or you're going to choose to live outside of his presence. You, you, you really, that's your only, two, uh, your only two choices. Now, as we talk about the benefits of living in his house, I want to talk to you about uh, yet another benefit of, of spending your life in God's house. And I want to give it to you in a word. I'm using the word this morning, Discipline, you could put that up on the screen now don't all walk out on me right now don't all, please stay 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 It'll, it's all good, right? <clears throat> Discipline <clears throat> I remember uh, years ago uh, I can't think of the lady's name right now. I know she 's a famous uh, teacher uh, who's a lady uh, help me uh, she <laughs> I uh, can't think of her name. Oh, Joyce Meyer, thank you very much. Joyce Meyer was, she gave a, uh, a teaching one time, and she says uh, uh, the name of it was something like Why We Need to Obey God. And she didn't, she didn't sell any of her CDs. So she changed the name of it from Why We Need to Obey God to The Blessings of Obedience, and she sold out, it was just selling them out. And this subject matter that we're looking uh, on this morning is not a popular subject. In fact, it probably, uh, there won't get a whole lot of views on YouTube for what I'm gonna talk to you about today because just the mere mention of this 10-letter word discipline ends up getting uh, demoted to a four-letter word, right? Somehow we don't like even the sound of that. We don't like the ring of it in our ears. Um, so I was, I was reading some things about discipline online, uh, and I got to start out with this because we just need, we need a lighthearted moment here. But I was reading some things, and I came across this particular it was a, a thread online of people talking about discipline, or, or maybe I should say it this way, Uh, the lack of people wanting to exercise discipline in the days that we live in. And uh, this guy wrote in, he wrote this little thing, and he said, a lot of people in our culture have a problem with the idea of discipline, particularly disciplining children. And in particular, uh, they think it's improper to spank their children. So he goes on to write, he says, so I came up with a less hands-on way of handling my children. He said, one of the ways that I have found effective is to take him or her on a car ride and talk. They go on a car ride and then they talk. And he, he writes here, he says, they usually stop misbehaving after that car ride. He says, I've included a photo of one of my sessions with my son in case you would like to use this technique, sincerely, a friend. And here's the picture right here. There, there it is. There, that's the car ride right there. Now, I don't, <laughs> there's no spanking going on right now, right? We just, just make them hang on to the car hood. And Now, I, I don't know how many of you can see it all that well, but this was, this was genius, right? When this guy was taking, or whoever took this picture, in the background is one of those police things monitoring your speed. The real speed's 35 mile an hour, it clocks him at 99 mile an hour, right? <laughs> so they don't misbehave after that ride. Uh, one, way, one way of disciplining. There are many reasons why this, this principle or this idea of discipline is, isn't is a fond thing for people. Um, some of it see it as a four-letter word because of the loveless, abusive way in which they were treated all in the name of discipline. Um, Many of you know that my father passed away recently and uh, in many, many talks with my dad, I became aware that he was uh, disciplined by his father in an abusive way. One day day when my dad was, when I was younger and we were home, um, my dad had his shirt off and was working on something. I don't remember what it was, but it was hot out and he had his shirt off. And as a child, I noticed some scars on his back. And I said to my dad, I said, Dad, what are those scars from? And he said, well, he said, my father wasn't, I never knew my grandfather. I never knew his dad. And he said, my, my, my father was not a nice man. He said, when I misbehaved, uh, of which my dad and I had that both very much in common, the misbehave part, When I misbehaved, my dad would take me down into our basement, and he had a rubber hose that hung there on the beam uh, in our basement, and he would proceed to uh, discipline my father. Now, I am happy to report to you this morning that um, the Lord did many great things in my dad's heart after he came to know Jesus And one of the things uh, that that happened in my dad's heart was uh, he wasn't only healed from his physical wounds, the Lord went to work healing some of the emotional wounds in in my dad's heart. And the reason I can testify to that is because I don't have any scars on my back. I have not one scar from my father on my butt, on my back. Now, I want to say, I want to make it clear uh, that my, a lot of times when stuff like that happens, uh, people, it's like a pendulum thing, right? They go from being uh, excessively abused to not in, not in any way, shape, or form uh, ra- raising any kind of issue of discipline to their children. I'm, I want to say to you, I want to testify to you that while my dad was healed of some of the things, many all of the things that he went through with his own dad, I want to make clear that my father believed in discipline. My dad believed in boundaries, clear boundaries, and that if you crossed those boundaries, there were certain consequences that would take place. So my dad didn't go from uh, abusive discipline to no discipline at all. Part of that healing was finding that healthy place of knowing how to bring correction, but not do so in an abusive way. So there are reasons I understand why there are reasons. There are reasons why people don't uh, look to practice or exercise uh, discipline. Others have opted to see it as a four-letter word because they want to avoid conflict at all costs and not in any way find themselves in a place that the, someone on the receiving end of the discipline may not like them, right? So they avoid doing anything that would be re- remotely construed as discipline because they don't, wanna, they don't want to uh, feel um, less about themselves for having done so. And finally, uh, for those of us who have been on the receiving end of discipline, uh, it becomes a four-letter word to us because it's not pleasant, right? Right? I mean, discipline in general, is not pleasant. The Bible says uh, in Hebrews chapter 12, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful, painful. Discipline, painful, right? In the, in the Greek, the word for pleasant here, other, other places is translated joy. In other words, nobody signs up for discipline because there's really no joy attached to it at all. At least in the moment, there's no joy attached to it at all. So there are a myriad of reasons why people view discipline as a four-letter word. But regardless of that, regardless of the reasons why people would look to avoid it, I want to suggest to us this morning that discipline is absolutely essential To maturity. Discipline, it's on the screen. I have a slide for that. Discipline equals maturity. Boy, I knew this would be a hard subject this morning. It's awful quiet in here this morning. Super quiet. That's okay. Once in a while, you got to have some uh, broccoli, you know? This is broccoli morning. Got a little broccoli going out for you this morning. Have any of you ever been around a family situation where you get the distinct impression that the children of that family don't experience discipline? <laughs> oh, you can relate to that. Okay. All right. You, you, okay. So I, I, I say it this way. It's either that they don't discipline or they discipline incorrectly, right? And when you are in those moments where that's going on, you you are reminded once again why discipline is important. Right? One time uh, I was I was at home. I, I don't I, I picture it being a day off. I was at home, and a knock came at my door, and and I opened the door, and outside my door was a family, a young family. It was a. It was a father and a mother, I don't think, I, whatever, and they had three or four young sons. And <clears throat> I could tell the minute that I opened the door that uh, things weren't, they weren't happy right now, right? They, so the, 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 the dad said to me, he said, is there any way we can come in and talk with you for a minute? We're not doing well. I said, what, what am I going to say? No, sorry, it's my day off, you can't come and talk. So I said, sure, absolutely, come on in. So they came in, and uh, obviously the mother and the father were having a a domestic, right? They were, it wasn't going well for them right at the moment. And so they came in, I brought them into our living room, and uh, for those of you who have been in our house, we have a very open living room, we have a, a cathedral ceiling, and we have a wood stove over in the one part of our living room. So I sat down, had the mom and dad sit down, and we're talking. And all of a sudden, I, you know, the kids, are, they're just on the move. They're going. They're going all through my house. Jody wasn't home, so it's just me, right? And they're, they're making their move. They're going. Next thing I know, we're trying to have this uh, deep conversation about what's going on. Next thing I know, the one son crawled up on my wood stove, and he's trying to shinny up the pipe of my wood stove, right? He's trying to. He's shinny, trying to shinny up my pipe. And I'm like, what's happening right now, right? And so I said something. I said, <laughs> this is what I said. I said to the young boy, I said, could you please get down off my stovepipe uh, and, and, and come over here and sit down? And the mom and dad said, oh, you don't want him climbing up your stovepipe? I'm like, no, I don't want him climbing up my stove or my pipe, right? Um... And, and finally, this went on for... It was a short visit. It was a really short visit. <laughs> this, this went on for like the next 10 or 15 minutes, and I, I finally looked at them and I said, uh, number one, uh, first of all, your children should not be um, exposed to the conversations we're, we need to have, right, this moment. Your, your kids really don't need to be hearing this. And number two, it, I don't know, it just feels like your kids aren't ready to just cooperate here in the moment. So I said, why don't you call me? We'll set up a time to get together, blah, blah, which they did. They did later on. But uh, in that moment, I remember thinking to myself, <laughs> where do you start? Where, where, where do you even begin with a moment uh, like that? So whenever you're exposed to moments like that, you realize there's a value in discipline, Right. And and when I look at our world and our culture right now and I see the headlines in the news, I think to myself, apparently there's others out there that don't uh, see the value in in exercising uh, discipline uh, as well. We know this to be true to life in the natural. But I say to you this morning, it's also true, it has spiritual implications God does not want to raise spoiled children. Spoiled children are not happy children. It's true. Spoiled children find it difficult to get along with other children. Spoiled children find it difficult to navigate challenges and temptations because they haven't been instilled with the tools needed to discipline themselves. One of the benefits of being a son or daughter of God and living in his house is that he is going to discipline us. You sure? He's going to discipline us. I want to read to you from Hebrews chapter 12. Before I do, let's clearly, uh, let's clearly set the context here. The author of Hebrews is writing to Christians. This is a letter to Christians, not to unbelievers, not to people outside the church. He's writing to people, both Jews and Gentiles, who are within the body of Christ, okay? Okay? Now, these particular believers that he's writing to were going through some difficulties in regards to being Christians in their culture. If you read the book of Hebrews, you know that there is a lot of exhortation about remembering others. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11, remember others who went through difficulties for their faith and to keep pressing on, right? All right, so now I bring you up to chapter 12. I want to read it to you out of the message translation, which I don't often do here on a Sunday morning, but for me, this like, this, like captures what I want to say to you this morning. He starts out here in verse 5 in the message translation saying, don't feel sorry for yourselves. Whenever there's things happening in our life that are adverse in nature, we typically, don't we, we start feeling sorry for ourselves. So this author says, step number one, don't feel sorry for yourself. Or have you forgotten how good parents treat children and that God regards you as his children? Then there is uh, inserted here a, a quote from Proverbs. My dear children, don't shrug off God's discipline, but don't be crushed by it either. It's the child he loves that he disciplines, the child he embraces he also corrects. Now he goes back, he 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 brought that over from Proverbs, inserted it into his letter, and now he goes on. God is educating you. That's why you must never drop out. He's treating you as dear children. This trouble you're in isn't punishment, it's training. It's normal experience for children. Only irresponsible parents leave children to fend for themselves. Would you prefer an irresponsible God? We respect our parents for training and not spoiling us, so why not embrace God's training so that we can truly live? While we were children, our parents did, did what seemed best to them, But God is doing what is best for us, training us to live God's holy best. At the time, discipline isn't much fun. It always feels like it's going against the grain. Later, of course, it pays off handsomely. For it's the well-trained who find themselves mature in their relationship with God. I just love how it's it says it here. Yeah. It brings it right down so that I can, even I, can understand it. So I want to talk to you in the few moments we have yet together about answering the question, what is discipline from a biblical point of view? What is discipline? According to what we just read, The primary objective of discipline is not punishment, but training. I need to say that to someone again. The primary objective of discipline is not punishment, but training. Once in a while, uh, someone that's going through a, a difficult situation will ask me, as pastor, they'll say, am I being punished by God? to which I would respond to anyone asking that question by saying that the heart of God in disciplining his children is never to get back at us. Never to get back at us. Instead, what God is doing is endeavoring to draw us back to himself. Always. We should not see the father as ever getting even with us. That's not what a good father does. When that younger son came home from Luke 15, the younger son thought he was going to uh, find himself uh, on the wrong end of discipline when he got back home. But that's not what he was, he, he's, he was as shocked as those uh, that Jesus was telling the story to. When he got back home, instead of the father bringing uh, condemnation and punishment on the son, the father brought him back into uh, his blessing. And we talked about that as that story unfolds there about the robe and the ring and, and all that stuff. In order for us to receive the Father's discipline in the spirit in which it was intended, we must understand God's role and what our response to that should be. Now, this is how I see it. Our Father is using the events of our lives. He is taking the things that that happen to us in life and he's sifting it, if you will, through his sovereign fingers and using those things to bring transformation into our life so that we go from who we are to looking more like Jesus. That is the Father's role, if you will. And so he, he looks to use the things that you and I go through the stuff of life, and he, he, he sifts it, he, he, he strains it, if you will, and, and uses it to bring some discipline into our lives, and hopefully the growth of our faith, depending upon our response. The Father wants us Uh, to be all that we can be. Listen to how Paul said it in Romans chapter 8. He says, you know this passage, we know that all things, say all things, All all things work together for the good of those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. So God takes all things all things, even the yucky things, he takes all things to use as a means of getting us to looking more like Jesus. <clears throat> In order for that to take place, he has to knock off the rough edges of our sinfulness, our wrongful attitudes, our character flaws, all those things about who, we, who, who, who all of us are. That, my friends, that process is called discipline. Discipline. An artist from the South had completed sculpting a horse out of rock. A passerby, amazed at the transformation that went from being a a nondescript piece of rock to a, a horse, said to the sculptor, how in the world did you do it? And the artist replied, I knock everything off that doesn't look like a horse. That's how I did it. I knock everything off that doesn't look like a horse. God's discipline in our life is meant to make us look like Jesus. Now, in this passage here in Hebrews 12, we get a a very clear understanding of the nature of our Father's discipline. Number one, I have it here for you on the slide. Number one, The father's discipline is a sign that he's in personal relationship with us. This is how it's said here in Hebrews 12. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves. God is treating you as sons. That's in verses 6 and 7. In this passage, God's discipline is compared to a parent's discipline of a child. Now, I think we can all agree with this this morning. Unless prior consent is given, a parent only has jurisdiction over his or her own child. I remember back some time ago when we were raising our children and we were part of a homeschooling co-op group and uh, our son Hans was uh, listening to some music at this particular outing we were on. And, uh, you know, Jody and I, we chose to work with our kids in a way we felt was uh, the way God wanted us to work with our kids. So I don't put this on anybody else, but we were allowing our son to listen to some Christian rock. Yeah, (laughs) way out there, way out there on the edge. We were right on the edge. But they were listening, Hans was listening to some Christian rock music, right? And one of the other parents for the homeschool group got involved. Ha! Yeah. Yeah, I remember those days. <laughs> Not fondly, I might add, but I remember those days. And this parent uh, felt like that was uh, uh, way out of bounds for their family. Uh, that kind of music and uh, so she was uh, you know as that one referee said in that football game years ago uh, she had my figuratively speaking she had my son on the ground and was giving him the business right about the music he was listening to I just happened to come along at that moment when it was all going down and I said ma'am I said "Uh, that's our son that's not your son. That's our son. You see, as a parent, you have uh, the you have the uh, intimate knowledge of who you're working with. They don't. I got to live with this kid <laughs> every day, all day, right? And we, we and we are we are you know everybody you do it how you see fit, but we are tailoring what we our boundaries and our discipline to our particular children. That's the that speaks of relationship, personal relationship. You don't have a a cookie cutter one size fits all. We are working with this individual based upon what we know needs to take place in that individual person's life. God works with us in that same similar way. He knows what we need. Right? He knows what needs to get formed. He knows what needs to get tweaked. He knows what needs to get uh, uh, chipped off. And so he works with us in a personal way. You know, I, I watch other people, you know, they, they seemingly breeze through life and, 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 and they, don't, they don't seem to have a lot of uh, conforming to do. And it would be very easy to, uh, what did we read there in the very beginning? Feel sorry for yourself, right? But God is at work dealing with us on a personal level. That's number one. When you're going through stuff, just remember, the Father has not abandoned you. He's working with you because he's your father. He's your dad. Number two, discipline comes sometimes in the form of hardship. Hardship. We just read it. We read it there. Verse, let me find it here real quick. It says it here, right here. It says, endure hardship as discipline. Uh, Apparently you didn't hear me. Endure hardship as discipline. That's what it says. I didn't make it up. It's right here. I read it to you out of NIV, so you don't think somebody's making it up. (laughs) Endure hardship as discipline. Hardship, I've discovered, comes in all shapes and sizes. There's physical hardships, mental hardships, emotional hardships, relational hardships, spiritual hardships, Uh, There's all kinds, all forms, types of hardship. All of these hardships, though, have one common denominator. They're hard. There's some pain involved. God loves us the way we are, but he refuses to let us stay that way. You've all heard this, uh, this slogan, no pain, no gain. Don't take his discipline as anger towards you. Take it as affirmation that you are his child, that he believes in you, and he wants nothing but the very, very best for you. He's a loving parent who refuses to give up on us. Which brings me to this third point that I want to make. Discipline is for our good. Hebrews 12.10. He disciplines us for our good. Now you're probably asking the same question that, that I would ask. What is the good he's going for? It tells us in the next verse. That it would produce in us the fruit of righteousness and peace For those who are trained by it. Think about that for just a second. What's being referred to here is both a matter of things on the outside and things on the inside. That his discipline in our lives would have both an outward good effect and that his discipline in our lives would also have an inward good effect. Righteousness or acts of righteousness on the outside and peace on the inside of our souls. Isn't that exactly the kind of life that we want to have, where we're being the most effective we can be towards others on the outside, and yet at the same time, there's this uh, abundance of rest and peace in our souls taking place. In many respects, that all hinges on how you and I respond to God's discipline in our lives. As I see it, we have three possible responses. Number one, we can despise his discipline. The author of Hebrews, as I said earlier, quoted from Proverbs 3.11 that says, Do not despise the Lord's discipline. Do you know why the Bible tells us not to despise the Lord's discipline? Because we can despise the Lord's discipline. We can, we can see these things happening in our lives and, 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 and understand them to be you know, something that God's using to knock off the rough edges of our, our soul, Right? And we can despise it. We can. This is what it means to despise, to reject it out of hand. Nope, I'm not gonna. I'm not. I'm not even going to go there. I'm not. uh, We can. We can reject it out of hand. We can. It means to spurn, to have disdain for, to rail against. When we respond to God's work in our life, to His discipline in our life, in this way, it will lead to bitterness, hard heartedness, and left unchecked. Actual hatred. Discipline received in this way will end up souring our character rather than sweetening it. That's number one, we can despise it. Number two, we can accept it, but begrudgingly. This is when we may not reject it out of hand. We acknowledge that the Lord would use this to do some form of discipline in our lives, but we're not happy about it. I'm not happy about it. In responding in this manner, we normally ask the wrong question. We should be asking the question, what are you trying to teach me? But we most always ask the question, why are you doing this to me? It reminds me of a joke I once heard of a young girl who would not sit down in her car seat. After much pleading from the father, she finally agreed to sit down and get buckled in. But as they took off and they're making their way down the road, the little girl said to her father, I just want you to know, I may be sitting down on the outside, but I'm still standing up on the inside. That's how we can be about this stuff. If we go at, if we, if we address this issue that we're discussing here this morning with a begrudging heart, it will never ever get us where God's trying to take us. Here's something amazing. It just, just came to me. I, I was thinking about it during the week, but I didn't have it in my notes. Did you know that Jesus subjected himself to the discipline of the Father? And he didn't need to. But he submitted himself. And if you read the Gospels, you'll find out that Jesus went through some yucky junk. It kind of started day one. And ended up at a cross. Right? So we can despise it. We can accept it begrudgingly. Or number three, we can embrace it willingly. In our passage this morning, in verse 9, it says, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of our spirits and live? This is the very thing that I think James was pointing to in his letter when he said, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you deal with trials of many kind, so that you may become mature and complete, not lacking anything. When our attitudes are as they should be, God can use the hardships of life to change us from being spoiled children into fully mature sons and daughters of His. Now, I, on a personal note, um, As most of you know, the last few months um, have been some hardships for me personally. On May 5th, I woke up in the middle of the night with a pain in my side, that the complications thereof led to a catheter for three months. In the middle of that, my father passes away. In the middle of that, while I'm going to have my catheter changed, I wrecked my wife's car. And you can look at all of these things and say, Lord, why are you doing this to me? Or you can look at those things and say, Lord, what are you trying to teach me? What am I supposed to be gleaning from this that would make me look more like your son? So I can stand up here and talk to you in theory about Hebrews chapter 12, but I just want to tell you that it's come pretty close to home. And all I can tell you is this. That if you allow God to do his work in your heart and life, it will make you sweeter and not bitter. Some of the sweetest people I know have gone through some of the most hardships in life. Now, I also know people who've gone through hardships who are just angry and bitter. I think you testified in light of some of your hardships of late that God did a fresh work in your heart. That's because you, instead of becoming bitter about it, you said, Lord, what are you trying to teach me through this? Not why. Why are you doing this to me? That's a punishment perspective. A training perspective says, Lord, what are you trying to get to? What are you trying to unearth here? I want to close by reading to you. I'm almost done. I want to close by reading to you. You know, the guy that we talk a lot about from the New Testament, Paul? Paul? He went through some, some hardships, a lot of them, in fact, and one of the ones that he went through, we don't even know what it was for sure, but we know it was a hardship because uh, he asked God to take it away from him, right? Three times, it tells us, he said, God, would you please take this away? I want to read to you again from the message translation because it really kind of brings it just down to where we live. In that passage, this is how it says it <clears throat> Satan's angel did his best to get me down. What in fact he did was push me to my knees. At first, I didn't think of this as a gift and begged God to remove it. Three times I did that, and then he told me, My grace is enough. It's all you need. My strength comes into its own in your weakness. Once I heard that, I was glad to let it happen. I quit focusing on the handicap and began appreciating the gift. It was a case of Christ's strength moving in on my weakness. Now I take my limitations in stride, and with good cheer, those limitations that cut me down to size, abuse, accidents, opposition, bads break, I just let Christ take over. And so the weaker I get, the stronger I become. Discipline training. We don't often see it this way, but it's meant to be a gift from our Father. I'm going to invite you to stand and then I wanna I, I just want to pray for us this morning. Proverbs 10, 17 says, whoever heeds discipline shows the way to life, but whoever ignores correction leads themselves and others astray. Lord, I know that as we've been talking about the blessings and the benefits of living at home with you and spending our lives, Lord, knowing that we are in your presence for real. That we never typically think of this area as being a blessing, but it is. For we know what undisciplined lives look like, Lord, and it's not pretty. And Lord, your, your goal in life is not to just make us the happiest people ever on earth by making sure that our circumstances and situations are all just perfect. Your goal in our lives, Lord, is to make us look more like your son, Jesus. And so, Lord, I pray that we would have a, a new angle on this matter. That we wouldn't walk out of here today and at the first hint of hardship, we throw our hands up in the air and say, God, why are you doing this to me? Lord, that we would walk out of here knowing that when some difficulty comes our way, Lord, that that there's something in it for us, something eternal in that, that we shouldn't quickly despise or you know, just, uh, okay, well, if we have to do this, get it over with. That we would see it as your loving hand in our life, trying to get us where we need to go, Lord, and not end up as a spoiled child. Teach us, Lord, train us. Our lives are in your hands. Use these things that we're going through in life, Lord, as ways to bring about the the fragrance of your Son in our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.